This podcast includes frank discussions of mature themes that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast is intended to provide encouragement and support through personal storytelling. The views expressed are the opinions of the participants and not intended to be medical, legal, clinical, or professional information or advice of any kind. Welcome to the Bubble Hour. 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 Welcome, 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 welcome to the Bubble Hour. I own it. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from the power. Weakness head on me. Jean McCarthy, and you're listening to The Bubble Hour. Hello, and welcome to The Bubble Hour Archives, a treasure trove of episodes ranging from 2012 to 2022. I'm recovery advocate and author Jean McCarthy. I joined The Bubble Hour as a host in season two. Together with other hosts over the years, Ellie, Lisa, Amanda, and Catherine, we all extend to you our gratitude for listening and a heartfelt wish that this podcast will find a welcome home in your recovery toolkit. The resources mentioned on the show are available at thebubblehour.com, including information on the online support group called the BFB, or Booze Free Brigade, often mentioned on the show. Now, if you're hearing this message, you're listening to one of our free archived episodes, and we'll make sure that there are loads of these available for you to enjoy. These are partial versions of the original recordings, and if you want to hear more, you can listen to full versions and the entire back catalog ad-free by joining us on Patreon. So just head to patreon.com slash thebubblehour to learn more. I'll also put a link in the show notes to make it even easier for you to find that. So, all right then, enjoy the show. Hey everyone, this is Lisa, and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real women tell real stories of addiction and recovery and offer real hope. Joining me tonight are my two co-hosts, Ellie and Amanda. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Lisa. Hey. Our Bubble Hour topic tonight is vulnerability and recovery. We are asking, what, what does the word vulnerability mean to you? Is it a negative or a positive? Or maybe both? Why is vulnerability so important to recovery? Tonight you will hear an open and, yes, very vulnerable conversation about what vulnerability means to us and how it continues to evolve for us as we continue the journey of recovery. As far as the um, vulnerability itself, people generally think of vulnerability as a negative thing. Even common dictionary definitions are negative. In other words, we've seen definitions as, such as inability to withstand attack from multiple stressors, susceptible to physical or emotional attack, open to censure or criticism, liable to succumb to persuasion or temptation. We all did an informal poll with people in recovery on what the word vulnerable means to people. And many people felt that vulnerability was something scary or something that should be avoided. Now I'll share with you some of the sample responses. The first one we heard, and we heard a lot, was vulnerability is the fear that they might get hurt. 
And another one was allowing myself to feel hurt, allowing someone or something else to have control over the way I feel. Another one was, if I am vulnerable as it relates to my disease, my alcoholism will find the cracks and the weaknesses. If it finds a crack, I will drink. If I drink, I will die. Another was fear. I've opened myself up to trauma when allowing myself to be vulnerable in the past. When something is out of my control. I think of work and meetings and planned meetings to overcome weaknesses and vulnerabilities when I think of the word vulnerable. When I think of the word vulnerable, I think of the words raw, open, and exposed. To me, vulnerable equals aware of the potential of being hurt. Another one is an open heart is a vulnerable one. I've spent most of my life trying to protect myself from pain, but all that does is close me off from other people. And another one is vulnerable for me means burying myself either physically, emotionally, or mentally, an idea, an opinion, even a thought to anyone that I'm having. I'm exposing myself to ridicule, to hurt, to rejection by showing whomever that is, a that is a piece or pieces of who I am, and that is something I've hidden for so long. Some people in recovery see vulnerability as something that, open, that has opened doors to growth or something to be embraced even though it is frightening or something to be accepted and surrendered to, even though it brings uncertainty. I allow myself to feel hurt, allowing someone or something else to have control over the way that I feel. And before getting sober, vulnerable would have been a negative word to me, but I, I am learning that for me, I need to be vulnerable to grow and heal. So now I think of it, of it as a positive. Another definition we got was, I definitely see vulnerability as a positive now that I am sober. I think being vulnerable is understanding that I am not in control of everything that happens to me and around me, and I need to be ever vigilant in protecting my sobriety. I also think it means being open and honest when you're in a safe place, basically allowing myself to be vulnerable so that I can hear the other person and learn what I can. Mm -hmm. I think to be vulnerable is to open up. People are very closed off so that they won't get hurt. Vulnerability is willingness to be open and to let people in and to let people in to see your true self. I love this. Um, <clears throat> opening myself up to the possibility of feeling powerful emotion, both positive and negative, letting this shield down. For example, I felt very vulnerable and exposed when discussing my drinking decision at the dinner table last night. Could have gone either way, but I was open to emotion and letting go of the illusion of control. I like that one, too. Mm -hmm. uh, another response was, my first reaction to the word, the word vulnerable is negative. It's not a place I want to be. I'm learning it's not a bad thing, just a different way of relating to people in the world around me now that I'm in recovery. And here's one. This is a good one, too. Surrendering my perceived control of how others will judge me. Letting the universe, including myself, see who I really am, including my flaws and weaknesses and fears. The word has always had strong negative connotations for me, but that is changing as I work a recovery program. I'm learning that vulnerability has so much to do with other words, such as honesty, trust, fear. In practice, I'm finding that when I am vulnerable, then that's when my connections with others actually feel deeper. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Here's one. Right now, for me, vulnerable is allowing myself 
to honestly, soberly, feel what I feel, joy, scared, sad, happy, whatever it is. Through each of these, those experiences, I gain strength. And another one is, vulnerability is the truth. It's the way it is, no matter what we layer on top of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's one. Embracing those things that scare me. Embracing those things that scare me as well as letting others in, which is totally foreign to many of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Vulnerable means to me being brave enough to reveal your true needs and desires and to allow yourself to want and ask for them to be fulfilled. Oh, we were talking about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Vulnerable equals terrifying and freeing. It opens oneself up for rejection and pain, but also allows for great growth. Another one is that I spent too many years fighting to not be vulnerable, weak, and unworthy. In sobriety, I've learned that each of these have different meanings. And while unworthy doesn't apply to me anymore, the other two, weak and vulnerable, bring me strength and experience. I see it as a cherished and positive thing, but I really just focus on it in terms of relationships. Vulnerability is higher order stuff because because it is predicted on having trust enough that you will let someone in that you will show them where you are weak and what scares you. Part of my journey of discovering the obvious has been resizing that we all need people that we can be vulnerable with, that we can share our fears and our our self-doubt with. Why is vulnerability so important in recovery? From the above responses, we can see that people have strong reactions to vulnerability, obviously. And that is a concept that means different things to different people, depending on their own experiences. Everyone tackles vulnerability in recovery, though. When we get sober and and we lose alcohol or drug of choice, we feel everything where we once were numb. And feeling vulnerable is one of the prime emotions most of us sought to avoid or control through drinking. Can you relate, ladies? I can. I sure can. Oh, yeah. Right. (laughs) Learning how to navigate the waters of vulnerability is one of the bigger challenges we face in recovery. To me, personally, it's been the biggest. Tonight, we're going to share some of our own experiences with vulnerability and recovery, and we're going to have a conversation about what vulnerability means to us. So, if it's okay with you ladies, I'll go ahead and share my story, a little bit of it anyway. I was going to read this off the cuff, I mean, speak this off the cuff, but I'm going to read it instead. <clears throat> I'd like to read something I wrote recently about what, about what being vulnerable now as a recovering alcoholic means to me. For most of my life, I've appeared normal to the outside world. I packaged myself as a strong person from the earliest of my memory. Even as a little girl, I needed the measures to take to ensure that I blended in and even seemed self-assured. As a teenager, then as an adult, I perfected these little tricks. Despite the ever-increasing amount of alcohol I was drinking daily, I still managed to present myself in a way that conveyed success, even to my family and my very closest, most trusted friends. By most accounts, I appeared to have the perfect life complete with a husband and two children, a home in a nice neighborhood, and a successful career. Many social invitations, and I was very active in my community. All of that was just a part of my mask. I now know that I was drinking in an attempt to escape the truth. The truth was I hated myself. 
My insides did not ma- match my, my outside. I was my own worst enemy. <clears throat> Eventually, as these things always go, the alcohol stopped creating the desired internal effect. I began hating myself even more as my only coping, coping mechanism stopped numbing my insides. Throughout the course of my entire life, I have never truly even let one person, let one person into the deepest part of myself. In order to let someone see my most locked-away self, I would have to force myself to be vulnerable. I've even avoided writing this in preparation for tonight's show because of the fear of actually having to be vulnerable now as I read this. I've personally spent so much time keeping people and feelings at bay by building huge walls around my heart. All of this avoidance is, at the end of the day, about shame. Shame keeps me from becoming my best self, my truest self. I'm learning how to rewire my brain and undo a lifetime of fearing others will not like what they see if I show them who I really am. I was taught through life circumstances from a very early age to protect myself. I wanted to protect myself from judgment and criticism. I didn't want to share my deepest thoughts and feelings simply because I feared rejection. Thankfully, I am now in a place in my life where I'm beginning to see that forcing myself to be vulnerable is key to living a life that is meaningful. The very first step to me getting to this place was finding people in recovery. At first, I thought the only thing I would have in common with others in recovery was addiction. I was so very wrong. I was completely amazed by just how much I had in common with other recovering alcoholics. I had to force myself to take a leap of faith in the beginning days of my recovery. I had to admit to others that despite the fact that I appeared to have it all together, I was a complete mess of chaos and destruction on the inside. Instead of being mocked or laughed at or rejected, I heard the most beautiful words I'd ever heard in my whole life. I heard, you are not alone, me too. With these little words, I began to consider telling more about myself to the people I trust the most in my recovery community. These people were once strangers, and now they are some of my best friends. And once again, to my surprise, they loved me despite my flaws. In fact, some of these people in my recovery circle loved me even more because of my flaws. And because I let them in, I began to heal. Ah, Makes me cry. I still have miles to go on my recovery journey, on my journey through vulnerability. Being transparent with my thoughts and feelings is going to require a lot of time and effort on my part. But I recognize now just having the courage to speak my truth, even some of my truth, to even a few very trusted people is the foundation I need to be able to be the person I am meant to be. Each time I make a choice to be real with no apology about who I am is a choice that has the possibility to transform my life in the most rewarding way possible. So much more than my darkest thoughts. I'm so much more than my darkest actions. I'm learning through being vulnerable that I am perfect by virtue of my imperfections. I'm learning that I'm powerful by virtue of my vulnerability. Every time I expose a sacred and once locked away part of my heart, I'm letting the light in to what was once the darkest part of me, and that is truly 
my freedom. Do you ever wish for a little bit of recovery inspiration on the go? Tiny Bubbles is a new podcast that brings you the best bits of the Bubble Hour podcast in quick little episodes, just 15 minutes long, but packed with wisdom, insight, and encouragement to live your life wholeheartedly and alcohol-free. Look for Tiny Bubbles wherever you get podcasts and subscribe today. Tiny Bubbles. Little bits of recovery goodness brought to you by the Bubble Hour. Sometimes all you need is a little pep talk so you can get back to living that beautiful life you're building. Amanda, are you ready to share yours? Or? Yeah, I can share what vulnerable means to me. I have a lot, I had a lot of the same feelings when I was growing up. I, I think a lot of us do. You know, and we find that when we get into recovery meetings that, you know, a lot of us had similar feelings. And I know for me, when I was young, I had a, my biological father was an alcoholic, and I felt really abandoned by him when I was a young kid. He, it was, when I was about five years old, he, to me, made a choice to not be a part of my life anymore. And I didn't understand his alcoholism, and so I took it very personally. And it was something that was very damaging to me, and I I really didn't realize that until I was much older. And so me feeling vulnerable started pretty young. And then as I grew up, I actually, my mom married another man, my stepfather, who was a great father, and I felt very loved and accepted by him. But I, and my mom was the most wonderful mother in the world who gave me nothing but love and put me above everything else in her life. But I still had this very, I had these incredible insecurities growing up. And to add to that, we moved around a lot when I was a young kid. I think by the time I was 15, I had moved 15 times. And so up in, yeah, and up until the age of nine, I would move pretty much every year. And there was actually one school year I moved three times. But fortunately, I only, I only went to two schools. But that was, you know, it was hard. I was constantly having to make new friends. And it was really hard to establish relationships. And so I always felt like the new kid on the block because I was, and mm-hmm. it just took me, I just didn't feel comfortable in my own skin. And then to top it off, I, I, when I finally did settle into a place that ended up being my home for my, my formative years, my teenage years, I, when I was nine years old, I moved to a very wealthy town. And, but I wasn't wealthy. My parents, they worked very hard. They were blue collar workers and they were just trying to find their way in life. And they were also pretty young. And so here we were in this town and all these people around me had everything in the world. They had all the designer clothes and stuff like that. And my mom made my clothes and I just felt out of place. I just felt very out of place. People did, I, I felt that people treated me differently, and I did get teased a lot because of my clothes. It was kind of like something on the outside. And so I, I, I learned to put up these defenses where I, I told myself that I didn't care what people thought of me. 
And and that was a coping mechanism that I needed, and it worked for me. And it, it took a while. I mean, I, I was a shy kid, and when I got a little bit older, and actually probably when I found alcohol is when I started to really learn how to navigate those feelings of insecurity because alcohol was the great equalizer to me. If I could go to the party and I could be drunk and funny, I fit in. And so that's what alcohol did for me. It made me feel a part of the the group that I was in. And, And actually when I was drinking and everyone else was drinking, they didn't seem to judge me anymore either. But so when I was drinking, that was fine. But when I wasn't, I just had this big shield around me, around my heart. And I was actually this, I was, I've always been an incredibly open person, willing to share my story and my life with people. And I, I was always trying. I guess that was also something I learned when I was younger, too. I needed to do that in order to make friends in new places. And I was fortunate enough to make a wonderful friend in Wayland, and I had plenty of friends, but I, I just, I, I didn't feel very accepted. But I would, I would talk to people. I would put myself out there and try to make friends. And if, if someone judged me and they weren't accepting to me, then I would just be done with them. And that's how I navigated life. You know, anyone, I would open up my heart, but the minute that someone, there was any sign that someone was going to hurt me, I would close the door and, that, and I would be done with them. And actually, it was kind of funny. I, I, it was real obvious with boyfriends. I would have a boyfriend, you know, a boyfriend, and we would be dating. And if there was any sign that we were going to break up, I would do it first. And it was, mm-hmm. it, that was, it, it was just the only way I knew how to handle things. I will hurt you before you hurt me. And that's mm-hmm. really not a very healthy way of living your life. So fast forward to getting sober, I was, I felt incredibly vulnerable. I did not know what to do with myself. Here I was this tough girl that could take on the world. I definitely, you know, people thought of me as being incredibly strong and independent and I had a I rule the world type of attitude. When here it was, all of a sudden I'm in a position where I needed to ask people for help. And I needed to get some help, and I, I just didn't have a clue on what to do. I, because I had people in recovery in my life already, I did go directly to a recovery meeting after getting out of a detox, and I, but I was terrified. And I just sat there in that meeting, and I cried, and I cried, and I cried the whole time people talked. And when it came to me, because I guess I didn't know what else to do, I actually shared. And I cried the whole time, and I, I, was, I really felt like a blubbering idiot. I was embarrassed that I was there. I was embarrassed that I was an alcoholic. And instead of people judging me or treating me like I was less than them, I think I felt accepted for the first time in my life that day. People mm-hmm. told me it was going to be okay. They took me in. They gave me their phone numbers. They told me they felt just like me. They knew how I felt. They could relate to what I said. And I was absolutely amazed. And so er, right from the start, when I got sober, I learned, I guess I learned that if I was going to do this, I needed to share how I felt with people. And for I don't even know why I trusted these people so much. But right. I 
That 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 actually that's always been my mo. I I would trust first, but God forbid you you give me exactly give me a reason not to. I would cut you off at the knees. I would just mm-hmm. be absolutely done. And I haven't found reason to do that with anyone I've met in recovery. These people mm-hmm. are my my trusted friends, my confidants. I tell them everything. I tell them things that I've never spoken out loud, and mm-hmm. it's been amazing to me. And oh, I found that. By opening up to other people, they open up to me as well. So there's like this mutual trust and respect. And it's so healing to have people that can identify with every single feeling that I've ever had. I felt alone not only in my alcoholism, but in these feelings of being less than and not being good enough for anything. On the outside, you wouldn't know I felt this way. Because I had this this really tough exterior, but on the inside, I was just like this cowardly little girl that would just, I would tell you off so that you couldn't hurt me. And it's been an amazing journey. And and what's funny, when I do share my story, I always laugh. Like, it's usually some guy who comes up to me and is like, I completely identified with you. (laughs) (laughs) To me, being vulnerable means being free. I can just be myself. And really be myself. And one other thing that I wanted to say is this is something for me that I still also have to really, really work on because it's hard. I mean, I do it, but I also have discovered that sometimes I don't even let myself see how vulnerable I really am. I hide it from myself. So Mm -hmm. sometimes I think there's things in my life that don't bother me. And I just kind of go through the motions. And I'm trying to recognize uh, my own feelings these days. And that's been really healing for me. So there's a lot of gifts to being vulnerable. And you also, for me, it's the relationships that I've built by opening my heart up to people in, in the true sense. It's really been a gift to me to open up and be vulnerable. Care is a new collection of recovery readings inspired by the Bubble Hour. If you love the encouragement and support you find here on this podcast, then this new book is for you. Visit thebubblehour.com for more information or check the show notes for a link to purchase. You'll find Take Good Care on Amazon Worldwide. Take Good Care, recovery reading inspired by the Bubble Hour, the perfect gift for yourself and friends. find the message of recovery we champion on the bubble hour plus get access to the entire backlist ad free by joining us on patreon patron support helps with the ongoing expense of making free versions of the show available as well as the cost to make new content like our spin-off podcast tiny bubbles become a bubble hour patron today at patreon.com slash the bubble hour and help us help others through stories of strength and hope We each sort of sat down and wrote out our thoughts and, and have not heard them until tonight. So there's going to be some common themes here, but I, I think that's a good thing because it shows the things that are really important to us all. And I, I mean, I definitely drank to avoid feeling vulnerable. When I was drinking, the fear of vulnerability manifested itself mostly through people-pleasing. You know, I would become whatever you wanted me to be to try to ensure that you liked me. Of course, I, I didn't realize I was doing this at the time, but I also did this to avoid feeling left out or less than or unliked. 
because all of those emotions made me feel extremely vulnerable. I, I think that's kind of a common emotion that a lot of people feel. I mean, a lot of people in general, but it's something you hear a lot from people in recovery, that this feeling of being different or other than or left out is a, is a pretty powerful feeling for a lot of us. And that in itself is very vulnerable making, at least it was for me. And, you know, as a drinker, I was used to changing any bad feeling that I had. If I was bored or angry or tired or sad or vulnerable, just have a glass of wine or three or seven, and I could change how I felt. You know, 17. Yes, yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, it's all right. It's a truthful, honest program. Um, but, you know, even when it altered my personality in undesirable ways, I felt like something was at least happening to me, you know, that I was, like, really living life. And little did I know that I was slipping further and further away from reality through drinking, and I was creating sort of my own warped version of my life that had really very little to do with the truth. And I think in large part, that's because the truth always made me feel vulnerable. I was really scared of my own reality. I, you know, in lucid moments, I would realize that I had a drinking problem and that it was getting worse. And a lot of times I was bored. I had a, you know, a job that took me around the globe. And then I decided to stay home full time as a mom. And it was a big change for me. And I thought I would love it. All these expectations I had didn't pan out. I was unhappy. I was overweight. And I, I mean, I really felt totally less than I would look around my and see, you know, look at all the other mothers because that was the life stage that I was in when my drinking got really bad. And I would think, you know, how, how can they just be in their life? And aren't they bored? And why is it so hard for me? I just looked for all, all sorts of ways to feel different than other people. And, you know, the only way to avoid facing this reality was to drink and people please my way into kind of a perceived popularity because I sort of, I mean, I think I think actually even consciously, not just unconsciously, I felt like if you thought my life was okay, then my life must be okay. And that was a you know, strong symptom of my denial about my increasing drinking problem. You know, and I guess in the sense that people-pleasing was, was successful, if you want to call it that, because I did have plenty of friends, but they were friendly friends, not really anybody I could rely on, you know, because they didn't really know me. And not just my deep, dark, secret drinking problem, but they didn't know the real me, my real personality, because, you know, I didn't know the real me either. I had been people-pleasing so long. I'd been so, spent so many years being who you wanted me to be that I didn't know who I was. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even if I had some revelation and wanted to be a real person, I don't think that I even, I was capable of doing it. So, you know, fast forward to recovery, and I felt really, really vulnerable in early sobriety in particular. You know, I lost my anesthesia, this magic elixir I had that gave me the perception of fitting in. And suddenly, I was just acutely aware of how small my life had become. I knew plenty of people, but I didn't really know anyone. And, you know, I would look at myself, and I would think, I'm just made up entirely of mistakes and fault lines and guilt and shame. I couldn't find one thing that I liked about myself in early recovery. And it just sort of felt like my skin had been ripped off, and every protective layer of denial I had was gone. And, And so was my, you know my go-to cure, quote-unquote, for all of my bad emotions, drinking. I didn't have anywhere to hide anymore. So socializing in any context was absolutely excruciating. Like, even when alcohol wasn't around, just going to a play date or a play group, because I didn't know how to be. I just really didn't have the first idea how to just be myself. Mm-hmm. And as uh, you guys have talked about also, going to recovery meetings or meeting other people in recovery, both online and offline, they were really my first tentative steps towards finding the real me. And to do this, to find the real me, to really bond with people, I had to drop the people-pleasing. And this was just as hard as stopping drinking was in many ways. And because, like I said, it made me feel totally exposed, 
totally vulnerable. Like, what if I'm the real me and nobody likes me? For a long time when I was drinking, my biggest fear was that if you really got to know me, you wouldn't like me. And that's part of the sort of double life we we lead as alcoholics. And, um, you know, becoming who you wanted me to be and holding all of my characters together with alcohol had been my single coping mechanism for as long as I could remember. And learning how to cope in the world without this armor was really hard. And... As I said, it was other people in recovery, me who, in recovery who really got me through that first year and who accepted me as I was and who listened to my sordid drinking history and loved me anyway. And little by little, I learned how to be real and embrace my flaws and surrender to things that were beyond my control. But I felt very vulnerable to this whole process. I mean, it sounds like I'm making it sound easy when I'm summarizing it, but it was extremely difficult. And what mm-hmm. I began to realize is that I had two worlds. I had this sober world where I felt utterly accepted and then I had my regular world where I still felt like kind of a fraud. And as long as these two were separate, I really struggled with the people-pleasing and feelings of insecurity in my quote-unquote real world amongst regular people who weren't in recovery. I called them NORPs, normal, ordinary, regular people. NORPs. Um, NORPs, right. That's my, my word for people who you know aren't alcoholics or addicts. And so... Little, the lo and behold, when I was about a year sober, I started my blog, One Crafty Mother, and I told myself that I was going to write about my fledgling jewelry business. But pretty soon I started blogging about recovery because that was really the single most important thing in my life, and it consumed almost all of my thoughts. And frankly, I never thought anyone would read it. If I thought anyone was going to read it, I probably never would have had the courage to start it. But little by little, more people began reading, and pretty soon the word got out in my local community that I was in recovery, and that was terrifying knowing that my truths were out there for everyone to read and talk about. And, uh, you know, to this day, I don't really know why I didn't stop writing. I think a lot of it was because despite all that fear, I felt really alive and real for the first time in a really, really long time, probably since childhood. And then people began sending me emails or stopping me in the grocery store to tell me how alcoholism had impacted their lives, you know, either directly or indirectly. And I began to see that there were many, many women struggling in silence and fear who thought they were totally alone, just like I did when I first stopped drinking. And they were finding some solace in my words and realizing that they weren't alone. And that thought really kind of kept me going, even as I totally cringed in fear when I walked into a play date or sitting on the sidelines of the soccer field, particularly after I had published a particularly vulnerable post to think, oh, you know, everyone's talking about me. They're all looking at me. And one thing I learned is that they, they weren't, that, you know, people really, really don't care whether I drink or not. And they also, for the most part, don't care that I used to drink and that now I don't. You know, that was a really big eye-opener. It's really only a big deal to me and the people who love me that I no longer drink. And then one other thing that was happening that I didn't fully realize at the time is that through this, through recovery and writing and expressing myself openly, I was becoming myself. You know, I was putting my truth out into the world, like all these things that have been deep, dark secrets and kind of almost defying people to walk away, kind of like, how do you like me now, you know, to the world? Mm -hmm. Right. But the thing is, people weren't walking away and I was being myself. And if anything, people like Amanda and you, Lisa, talked about, but they were drawing closer around me. They were offering support and encouragement and community. And they were responding to the fact that I was being myself and being vulnerable. It was almost something that, you know, something new and novel to a lot of people. And so vulnerability turned from something that I feared into kind of a magnet of compassion and understanding and love. It also served to kind of weed out the people in my life that weren't healthy for me, people who feared mm-hmm. truth or feared vulnerability or who really had to, you know, the perfectionists and the people who were kind of always playing that one-upmanship game. 
that if they weren't drawn to authenticity or to overcoming adversity or learning from their mistakes, they kind of drifted away. And the people who were healthy for me stayed. And um, so anyway, I realized after about um, a year or so, it really wasn't a conscious decision that I, I couldn't people please anymore. Like even if I wanted to, because the gift of vulnerability had brought me, they, they were so beyond my wildest dreams that I was really unwilling to go back to those old behaviors that were so isolating. But, you know, that's not to say that now when I feel vulnerable that I don't, that I like it. I don't. I still don't like it. It's a really uncomfortable feeling, but it signals to me that I'm experiencing some kind of period of growth. You know, recently I had a conflict with a really close friend of mine and, you know, having to really fight the urge to either bend over backwards and apologize and make her like me again or to shut my doors tight, like not let her in and protect myself. Those were really strong urges. And to be able to step up and admit my part in the problem and listen to her point of view and hear, um, you know, kind of self-criticism and criticism from her and other friends who I can call now and say, you know, this is going on in my life. And they, like Amanda talked about, they'll tell me the truth. And so instead of feeling attacked, I feel kind of loved. I feel like somebody's really, you know, it's, they're being vulnerable by sharing the truth with me and I'm being vulnerable by letting them in. And, you know, so like all of us have talked about, I realize now that I have these real relationships in my life and vulnerability and the ability to be vulnerable is really at the, at the core of this. And, you know, when I'm vulnerable and, I, and I'm able to have these reciprocal relationships with other people who are vulnerable, we really grow together and our bonds grow tighter. And it's kind of the antithesis to how I lived so long as a drinking person, which was sort of closed and defensive and secretive and dark and mm-hmm. small. You know, it's, my life is much more expansive now and much more open. And it's, ironically, it's really, I have vulnerability to thank for that. So, you know, I think we, we had a lot of common themes, but the, the, the end result is sort of, and we had different ways of getting there, but the end result was very similar, that vulnerability brought a lot of gifts into our lives. And that's, you know, like I said, nothing that we planned to say in, in common, but it definitely turned out that way. I think in that sense, vulnerability, like learning these new behaviors, because so much about being vulnerable is unlearning things. You know, mm-hmm. we talked about the yeah. stigma and the sort of the, I call it kind of like the shadow voices in our head that we, talk, we think, we, uh, it's almost like, at least I should keep it in my, to myself, I have this sort of tape that I play in my head about, that starts playing about, oh, I don't measure up or I'm worthless or I don't have, you know, I'm not good enough at this or I'm not good enough at that. And to unlearn that and embrace it and say, mm-hmm. well, you know, I'm not going to be great at everything and I, or really mess that up or sure, I'm going to let you come in and help me, you know, those things really, it's, it's, it's like learning a brand new language and a brand new way of, yes. of thinking and acting because I agree. all around us, even people who aren't part of the recovery or addiction community, I mean, this is not something that society in general embraces. We are hard right to protect ourselves. And on that note, I'd like to share a very special poem who was a very close friend of mine in my recovery circle. She shared this with me and it touched me. And it was given to her by a very special man who's helped to guide her home to recovery. And sadly, he passed away almost a year ago, next week. He was a kindred spirit, and he was a gentle soul um, who's helped countless people find freedom through recovery. He was a wise and generous gift, and I think he would be, I think he is, smiling down now as he waits for me to share this special poem in closing with you guys. So the poem is called Risk. To laugh is to risk appearing the fool. To weep is to risk being called sentimental. To reach out to another is to risk involvement. To expose feelings is to risk showing your true self. 
to place your ideas and your dreams before the crowd is to risk being called naive. To love is to risk not being loved in return. To live is to risk dying. To hope is to risk despair. To try is to risk failure. But risk must be taken because the greatest risk in life is to risk nothing. The person who risks nothing, does nothing, and has nothing, is nothing, and becomes nothing. They may avoid suffering and sorrow, but simply cannot learn, feel, change, grow, or love. They are chained by certitude. They are a slave. They are fortified. They have fortified their freedom. Only the person who takes risk is truly free. And with that, we'd like to say good night. Thank you all for joining us. I own it. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from the power weakness had on me. Just want to be free.